Hello, you are listening to the Capsule in Conversation podcast, dedicated to women and their well-being. I'm Natalie Anderson, and today I'm joined by menopause doctor and co-author of the number one best-selling book, Menopausing, Dr. Naomi Potter, to talk unlocking perimenopause and taking ownership of our health and well-being post-40. So sit back, relax, and get ready to join us in our conversation. Hello all and welcome to a brand new series, series eight to be exact. God knows where the years have gone, eh? Series eight, that's four years in. Well, I am absolutely thrilled to be bringing you a new lineup of fantastic guests who will all be bringing their own unique stories and expertise in health and well-being to our chats. And kicking us off today is one of the leading doctors in perimenopausal and menopausal health and the co-author of the highly acclaimed book Menopausing with Davina McCall, an NHS GP for over 16 years and the founder of online support platform Menopause Care, she is one of the most recognized doctors helping women to feel empowered and informed as they transition into a new phase of life. She is the brilliant Dr. Naomi Potter. Hi Naomi. Hello. Wow, thank you. It's such a pleasure to welcome you today and let me tell you when we announced that you were an upcoming guest our inbox went absolutely mad. I've Aww. never had so many questions for a doctor. Um, <laughs> so much excitement. So thank you so much for joining us. Honestly, I'm it's absolutely thrilled. Now, we've slowly been lifting the lid on menopause on this podcast for a couple of years now, um, but it feels like the conversation really is va- ramping up, isn't it? I mean, what's your take on that? It's am- it's amazing. So, like, yeah, the last 18 months, probably, it's really taken a turn. And then even in the last six months, it's just gone bananas, which is fantastic. It's been given the airtime that it deserves. But it oh, it, it kind of makes you reflect back on how it was just like two years ago and three years ago, where when I when I told people that I was a menopause doctor, they would kind of look at me and be like, well, you know, what's what's that? Yeah. And why? Whereas now it's, you know, it, everyone's like, yeah, okay, I, I understand what that's about. So it is incredible how in just such a short space of time, there's been such a massive uh, increase in, in airtime and discussion about it, it's brilliant. I mean, for me personally, the work that I've been doing, um, like you, it makes me really reflect on the women that have gone before that haven't perhaps had that level of care when you see how many women are desperately in need of care and support. And I know one of the things you're passionate about, and so am I, is the younger end of you know educating women like post 35 into perimenopause. When I think of some of my friends even that are now in their late 40s that are now on HRT, but those early years where they didn't know what was really going on, it kind of, well, it galvanizes me to work that bit harder as well, just to kind of make sure we are um, catering to that younger end as well. Is that the same for you? There's, yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of, there's two lost generations, aren't there? There's the, there's the generations above us. Mm. So, you know, women in their, women in their kind of mid to late fifties and, and beyond who have, who just had no, practically no care um, with, with, with their menopause. Um, and then, yes, there's, there's the women who are, it's even the under fifties, because mm. people still think that menopause happens when you're, you know, when you're in your fifties, when really it happens in your, in your, in your forties. Um, for most people, and then and then the younger women who you know I I've, I did a post about this on Instagram um, on Saturday, 
and the number of messages that I've had from women in their 30s just being told that this is you know this is how I feel but nobody's taking me seriously they're telling me that I'm too you know I'm being told that I'm too young everybody tells me I'm too young my family my friends the doctors everybody uh, and you know those are the women that actually we we really need to grab and treat because they're the ones that are going to end up with you know a, an extra decade mm. of no estrogen for bone protection and cardiovascular protection and it's just so it's so important that there is awareness not everybody with symptoms is going to it's it's not going to be the perimenopause and everybody with symptoms but there are absolutely i mean i so i did a uh, because we've got a a, an event happening called the perimeno meetup which is very much about that it's kind of trying to raise awareness it's so that for women um like late 30s um onwards to kind of say look we really need to get going with this conversation and then we made a little reel and i put it on my instagram and i had a, a a couple of guys um, which have since been removed, but a couple of guys saying, aren't you a bit young for this? You're a bit young for this. You're a bit young to be going through the menopause. And then I wrote this massive reply. And then I saw <laughs> that the person had kind of deleted the message because the whole point was, the whole point is about getting this conversation out earlier. But from that reel, I've had quite a few direct messages from women saying, oh my God, you've hit the nail on the head. This is me. Um, I'm I'm talking to my school mum friends about this. Yes. You know, it's my yes. school mum chat at the minute. It's that we're all, you know, we've got kids that are maybe seven or eight um, and we're all kind of feeling a bit off it. Um, do yeah. you think it could be perimenopause? I am in my early 40s. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, well, that sounds, I mean, obviously I'm not a doctor, so obviously go and get checked out. But from your experience, what would you think? We see, so my clinic is predominantly filled with women in their 40s. I mean, yes, of course we have women in their 50s, but the majority of women are in, are in their 40s. It's, you know, the, 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 so the definition of the menopause is a year after you have your last period, mm-hmm. but you have symptoms way before then. And it's, it's almost the time of, you know, the, the perimenopause gives you more symptoms in many, in many ways because of the hormonal turbulence. It's much easier to treat women when they're postmenopausal because you've got a kind of blank sheet. But it's, it, yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, it's, it's really frustrating when you hear kind of people saying, oh, you know, everyone's just jumping on the perimenopause bandwagon. Perimenopause doesn't exist. It's just, an, you know, it's just a, it's a media, it's a media show. It's a money-making, uh, you know, enterprise it it it, it, it isn't it, and it's just it's it's gaslighting and um and it's really really distressing because you have women who are juggling you know young children elderly parents careers families relationships um and they are on their knees and they can't get help and that's what's really really distressing uh, it just needs it just needs to be accepted i think absolutely and i'm totally with you like with this um so i would think that my first symptoms started cuz i can have really good months where i feel absolutely brilliant and then i know oh my god my estrogen's really low i can tell in my own mind in my like in my mental health in my physical health and i can tell it's sometimes a bit like a yo-yo and it's really hard work 
And when I, you know, when I first started talking about this to my friends, there was, it was a bit like, well, you've always kind of had anxiety and, you know, maybe it's a bit of that. And I'm like, it's my age. I'm telling you, I'm not crazy. Like I was 38, I'm now 42 this year. And I definitely know that this is the phase of life for me. And I want to be able to chat to women and let them know that actually just because we're, just because it's called perimenopause, like what you were saying, there's a long way off before the actual menopause for a lot of women. Some women, obviously, yeah. I know it can be a lot quicker, but for many women, it could be up to 10 years, maybe. It could be, you yeah. know, longer than that. So we need to learn how to manage these symptoms whilst juggling young children, like you've said. You know, it's for me, it's the chat at the school gates. The yeah. fact that we're having this chat whilst taking our primary school kids to school, that says a lot to me. And so like you were saying about being like more of a, um, a lost generation in terms of the women that need to be facilitated, um, what would you say for women are the first telltale signs that they should look out for? It varies for everyone. It does, it, you know, it, so there's there's so many symptoms. And like you said, symptoms come and go. Um, but I mean, so the, the classic symptoms are hot flushes and night sweats and periods changing, but you don't always experience them. Uh, and you can have them and then they can, they can come and go. Um, if you're not feeling yourself, and although that's a really non-specific symptom, it's actually quite, I think it's quite a good one mm. because you can it, you can have kind of specific symptoms that, um, so, you know, say you've got palpitations or um, heartburn or um, they're, they're, they're all quite kind of, um, they could be a lots, of, lots of different reasons yeah. why you've got those, but they're not feeling yourself. It tends to be fairly universal. Mm. It tends to be that whatever other symptoms you have, if you've got that as well, it's off, it's often perimenopause. But I mean, if you've got the thing is, there are big things like palpitations and heartburn and eye problems and all the other symptoms that are very systems local, localized. It's important to get them checked out because they can easily be other things. Yeah. But um, but likewise, when if you if you come back from having investigations and nobody can really find what's going on, then you've got to think: you know, is it is it hormones? Because it often is. Well, that's the thing because when your hormones are fluctuating, one month you could be fine, and then the next month it could be like on the floor. So it's hard, isn't yeah. it, to pinpoint? And I mean, we've got quite a few uh, listener questions anyway, and I'll move on to them. But one of the questions was that a lady did go to her doctor. Um, and you know the the bloods came back fine, but then she was like, "But I still felt awful." Went back again, and they changed. But then the doctor's still telling me I'm too young for for menopause. Well, yeah. well, too young for menopause. And I, let me just find the lady. She was, I think, the lady was. Um, she's in her in her early forties. She's right. just put. She said, "I'm in my early forties." Oh no, sorry, I'm forty five. That was it. She said, so she's kind of coming up to mid forties, but the doctors told her that she's far too young to be menopausal. But she said, you know, one month her bloods were okay. And then the next they were really low. And she feels in herself from everything that she's listening um, and, 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 you know, reading about that she's perimenopausal. Now, if your doctor says that to you, what do you do? I know it's really hard. It's it's really really hard. Um, so firstly, if you're over forty five, you don't actually need bloods at all. To right. you know, if if you've got typical symptoms, 
then it is, you know, it's it's perimenopause until proven otherwise. Um, if you're under 45 and you have blood bloods taken, then it's important to exclude other causes and you can look at hormones, but it's just a snapshot in time and they will change. You know, it, cha it changes throughout a month and that's normal. And it's really hard to, unless you've got a very, very high FSH, then, you know, it, it, it's really hard to use it as a, as a, as a diagnosis. Um, but the bottom line really is that if you've got no other cause and you're still feeling like that, then you can trial HRT and see whether that makes you feel better. If it makes you feel better, the chances are is that's what the underlying cause is. And if your doctor's not offering that to you, though, if they're saying, you know, they're not wanting to investigate if you're in your early 40s, what do you do then? You know, do you go to another doctor? Do you where do you look? I think it's yeah. If you're at a, if you're at a practice whereby there are a number of different doctors within that practice, yeah, the first your first port of call would be to try a different doctor within that practice. I mean, lots of doctors have got different kind of specialist areas, and that's probably the easiest thing to do. But if you are in your early forties and you really think that that's what's going on, it's important to get treated. So I would ask for a referral. It's um you know you, it's really really important that you replace estrogen if you if you can. And like you were saying, it's not just, you know, like things like bone health, these kind of things, you know, that can can rapidly kind of deteriorate as as we age. And if you're not getting that estrogen at a much quicker rate. So it's it's not just kind of about even mental health or those other things. There's lots of physical physical things going on too um I mean, going back to HRT, because, um you know, a lot of women do find it either aging or frightening or, you know, th there's a lot of like stigma attached in a lot of ways to it. You know, um, what there's obviously but, been a lot of um, a lot of what's the word developments over the last decade. I mean, can you just myth that bust some of the things around it? Like, for example, you know, the can you have it when you're younger? Is that something that you can absolutely look into? Absolutely. And it's important to. So if you are, you know, if, you, if you're a woman in your late 30s or early 40s, and you are perimenopausal or menopausal, then as long as as long as you can have estrogen, so for example, you haven't got breast cancer, it is really important to you're just replacing the hormone that would ordinarily be there. And it's important to maintain bone density and to keep your heart and your blood vessels in in good condition uh, so it is it is really really important to find a doctor that um that can identify that and, and help and the various types of hrt as well so for example you know there's there's gels am i right in thinking there's sprays there's patches are they different strengths or you know what what's that area <laughs> So there's yeah there's different types of HRT in the sense that there's oral HRT so that's estrogen in the form of a, of a tablet that you that you swallow or there's um, something called transdermal estrogen which it means that you absorb it through the skin and within that group there's patches gels and sprays and they all deliver the same hormone just in a slightly different preparation so some women prefer to apply to use a gel which is um it looks a bit like antibacterial gel mm. it smells a bit like antibacterial gel <laughs> and you just rub it you rub it onto your um you know your your bottom or your thigh or um just and it, and it's absorbed through the through the skin um, the spray is is applied in a similar way. You, it just is in a, in a slightly different formulation. It just dries a little bit quicker. It's a fine mist again that you absorb through the skin, um, and you apply both the gel and the spray every day. Whereas the patch is a little um, clear plastic, almost like a 
mini plaster mm. uh, that you that you put on um to your bottom or thigh or upper upper leg and you change those twice a week uh, and it still delivers it delivers estrogen through the skin in in the same way as the as the gel and the spray and in terms of the dosage do does that kind of um the, the they can all have a similar dosage can there it's not for example like the gel is slightly lighter or or, or smaller in dosage and the patches are more they've all so there's different strengths so the patch comes in different strengths and the gel will be is a different dose depending on how many pumps you use and the spray is a different dose depending on how many how many sprays you use so you can guesstimate what an equivalent patch dose would be to spray those to to gel just by however many sprays or pumps you use um and and how what the strength of the patch is and Recently, there's obviously been quite a lot of talk around testosterone, um, you know, and in improving your sex life. And again, just talk me through that. You know, is it it's the cream and what what's um, the benefits of that? <laughs> testosterone is a whole podcast on its own. I know. I bet we was one of some of the questions that we had was like, what's this about testosterone? <laughs> Will it give me my sex life back? It's a, a testosterone is is a is a hotly kind of passionately debated um, subject at the moment. Mm-hmm. So there's been some headlines where it's where it's really been like testosterone is the is the third female hormone. It's a game changer. Everybody should be on it. It's going to give you your life back. Uh, and then the, and then there's a flipped argument to that in that um, the data that we have at the moment. Uh, has proven that if you have a very low libido, mm. that by taking testosterone, if you have a low testosterone, can help improve that libido. Now, some women claim that it helps with cognitive function and mood and get up and go and try to be and those kind of things. We don't have the data at the moment to support that. Right. We have a, a lot of women anecdotally saying it has done for them but we don't we we can't say we have the scientific mm. evidence at the moment so there there is hopefully going to be a study looking into lots of aspects of, of testosterone and proving or not proving mm. what it can and can't do my thoughts are it probably does do more than the be though mm. just basic basing that on the fact that if you have a if you have a man or you have a you know men and they take medication to block their testosterone they lose more than their libido Mm. yes their libido goes but all sorts of other areas of their well-being disappear and i would think that there would be a similar effect in women but we we, we're just waiting to find out but there are there are you know significant numbers of women in this country now on testosterone replacement we we do prescribe it in in my clinic um and you know appropriately um, and it comes in, so there is no female product that is licensed for use on the NHS. That's the problem. So, mm-hmm. so NHS GPs or NHS gynecologists who are prescribing it have to use the male product off license. Um, and so that that causes, you know, some concern both mm-hmm. for doctors and for and for patients. So when you go to prescribe it, a big red box flashes up saying, you know, caution, this is off off license. And uh, when you have when you receive it as a woman, then the box is and, and the information leaflet is designed for men. Mm-hmm. So it can be a bit it's a bit it's a bit frightening and it's not ideal. Uh, it's, but again, it's absorbed through the skin. It comes as a gel, and you just you use it in female doses. So you titrate down to female doses under the 
under the guidance of your doctor. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's the thing is just bringing it back to that is making sure you've had those real conversations with your doctor, you know, and finding a specialist or finding a doctor that you can be open with and you can talk about this so that you've had that level of investigation before you kind of go out there or just, you know, kind of get get a hold of it or get, you know, get it prescribed because there needs to be that level of investigation. And as you say, hopefully with a study potentially coming in the future then it might be like wide, widely available um yeah in, in a proper format designed for women there is so there is a female product that is imported um under a special license from australia called androfem that we prescribe privately so that is right. designed you know it's been it's been um it's licensed for female use it's designed for women it comes in a pink it's got a pink um <laughs> you know a pink box and a pink tube and uh, but um but it's not available on the on the nhs yet but it, that's as a cream it comes as a cream rather than as a gel but again so if you were really struggling and you know you thought actually i'm i can do this privately then you can afford to do that privately then there are there are things that you can look into and like you say hopefully at some point we may get a version on the nhs which would be great for so many women because i think the area of people's like sex lives and libido is such a it's such a key thing for relationships you know if we're talking about like early 40s kind of late 30s women who might have just you know started a family and you know all this kind of life choices you're in this place the last thing you want is to kind of be going through well anybody really to be going through that phase where your partner feels like there's just lots of confusion there's not enough communication so it can be a massive thing can't it within relationships Absolutely. I mean, it causes it causes relationship breakdown. Mm-hmm. So and so it's not something that should be kind of belittled or yeah. or, or ignored at all. It, it's just um, it just needs to be it needs to be done right. And just going back to kind of yes, you can get it privately. So Androfem is available privately. But in one of the one of the downsides to what's happened with the menopause bubble is that now there are lots and lots of people who purport to be menopause doctors or menopause specialists or menopause. Mm-hmm gurus or you know um and people prescribing testosterone who perhaps don't know what they're doing uh so you do need you need to be careful if you're going to go down a private route you need to make sure that you're that you are seeing specialists the, the british menopause society have got a list of accredited specialists and specialist clinics you need to make sure that your clinic is cqc registered uh so you've got you do have to be careful um with you know google and finding the cheapest and um yeah. that you that you are getting somebody that knows what they're doing because testosterone replacement it needs monitoring you've got to have bloods done you've got to have you've got to make sure that you're seeing somebody that knows how to interpret those bloods but that's the thing isn't it like you you, women being desperate to kind of you know regain their selves their health who they are their confidence and that is quite a, a sad thing really that you are getting you know people kind of purporting to be something that perhaps they're not because women are so desperate for it and want the help um, and need the help as well um you know just moving away from kind of the the hrt route um what other lifestyle kind of changes can can women make to start you know to to ease symptoms of uh, menopause perimenopause you can do a lot with lifestyle uh so a lot of women find that when they are first experiencing perimenopausal symptoms they have things like insomnia and anxiety and fatigue 
and they have cravings for sugary food to give them you know a quick hit and they feel tired and they don't want to exercise or they feel anxious and they reach for wine in the evening and then they wake up in the middle of the night and they don't get proper sleep and then they wake up and up in the morning they've got to get everybody up out to school to work they have three cups of coffee because otherwise they're exhausted and you can end up getting into this lifestyle of this self-medication spiral where which is based on coffee and alcohol and sugar and it's really, really important to identify those factors and to break them mm. because no matter how much HRT you're given, if you are doing all of those things, you're still going to feel rubbish. Yeah. Uh, so simple kind of lifestyle tweaks that are very, they're much easier said than done. They are, it is easy for me to sit here and say it and it can be very hard to do it in practice but it does work. Mm. So it's caffeine is caffeine um, for some women is awful. It is, um, it makes you feel like you're about to stand up in front of 3000 people and give a talk on something you don't know. (laughs) That's me, I can't, I can only have it in tiny doses when I know I'm not gonna be doing anything really stressful because I am very susceptible to it. It gives me the worst racing heart. And like you say, the nerves, like you, you suddenly feel like, oh my God, oh my gosh. And it's awful. It's, it's horrible. And, and. Uh, but but women don't realise that, mm. so they don't they don't link the two things because it may be that they've drunk coffee all their life, or that they've just kind of been so tired that they're just drinking one more, just two more, and they don't really link the two. Uh, but it's 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 I I normally say it doesn't make me very popular, but I normally say just try cutting it out for three weeks because you'll go through a period of, of withdrawal which feels mm. even worse. But then when you've when you've gone through that, it may it is so much better. And the same with alcohol. So again, you you can go through a week or two where it feels awful because you're not sleeping because you haven't got that initial sedative effect. But then afterwards, you, when you kind of break through that, it's um it's 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 so much better, and you sleep properly, and you feel refreshed the next day, and then you don't need to rely on something else to kind of pick you up the next day. Diet and uh, sugar again, it's. It's, it's easy for me to sit and say this, but you need to uh, really focus on not having those quick fix sugar hits because you get a massive um, high of, of blood sugar and then you get a massive insulin surge and then you get a trough that comes very quickly afterwards. And then that doesn't make you feel very good. It makes you feel knackered, but also it makes you put weight on, which yeah. then makes it harder to exercise. And so the very thing that you should be that you should be trying to do to make yourself feel better is actually harder because you've put weight on so you've got to you know lose more weight and carry more weight when you're doing the exercise so those it's those interplay of all of those things everything you've said there is everything that like I've started to notice over the last couple of years and it's something like I'm lucky because my husband is a personal trainer and he does have a lot of female (laughs) clients and you know we talk about this quite frequently but I'm really over the last year have kind of started to really overhaul how I kind of approach things you know yes I'll still have my glasses of wine but not all the time like I save it now to like maybe one to two days a week max and that might be literally one or two glasses of wine you know and I have to be really strict with that because I notice that my mood my sleep my everything and as you said 
the next thing that happens in the morning you have the coffee and then you'll go oh I really really want something oh I don't know what I want but I need something it's sweet I need sweet something even to the point where I've had like honey on toast because I'm going I just need something and then you know the pounds start to creep up and then it's just like wait a minute this is a really downward spiral unless I kind of get a hold of it so I've increased my exercise like I say cut back massively on the the drinks and things that I have cutting out coffee throughout the day and honestly I feel so much better like I feel like I've got a hold on this and you wish you could kind of you know say to women I know it's really hard like those first few weeks and it is incredibly difficult but once you start putting that into a routine and you keep to it the benefits are massive and you also will notice changes I think quicker you start to go actually oh I had a couple of extra glasses of wine I've not felt like that for a long time and Mm -hmm. and you hold yourself more accountable I think yeah uh, I, I would just knowing, just having that awareness can make so much difference. So the other thing is um, sugary drinks. So yes. you know the, the ones that the ones that almost have, ad, advertise themselves as being kind of good for you. You know, like um, probably I won't say the net, I won't say the brand <laughs> names, <laughs> but you, do you know what I mean? I do know that, which the energy the, drinks and the yeah, the all of those. Yeah, if you're feeling tired, have this energy. Yeah. It's all, it's, liquid sugar and it just does exactly the same thing as you know a, a, a bag of sweets would do it just gives you a massive uh, um, sugar surge, glucose surge and yes you feel great for those 10 minutes but then you have the you know you have mm. the payback time afterwards so yeah just stay away from everything everything like that uh, and it, it really works it does work it is so there are some women where where if you if they can take hrt they almost need the estrogen just in order to facilitate the exercise and there are a group of women who are like that but on the whole like massive sweeping statement i know but those four things make a massive difference to practically everyone and the thing is as well with exercise you can incorporate it relatively quickly I think so for example like one of the things I started doing was I'd walk my son to school to make sure I had to do it to just get my heart rate going and then once we started doing that walk it became oh well now I've dropped him off I'm going to just run back Um, and and just those little things that you can because it's so hard isn't it as women at this age of of our lives where we've got so many things to do and we're juggling like you say there could be older parents and it's how to get those things into what's already in your day Um, and and my husband will say to me you know even 10 minutes of like press-ups or you know just things that you could do that just um you're having to use your body weight to do things yeah. to kind of build muscle that will help you as well and just switching things up um so that you're not having as many carbs and maybe having more protein and you can get kind of now you know protein yogurts that you can have on the go or protein drinks that you can have on the go if you're not getting enough in a meal which you should be but we all know what it's like on the go then yeah. there's these little things that will hopefully keep your hunger at bay and keep your sugar levels level um yeah. it's just looking at those little tiny things in fact I think I'm going to do a post about this you've now made me think about it of these like <laughs> 10 minute things or just like easy on the go things um because it's it's like you say once we get a hold on it and listen to our bodies and start being in tune with our bodies then we can really start taking ownership of yeah. it can't we it just needs a bit of thought it just, just to start off with and, and and a bit of determination to start off with and then it becomes just part of how you live your life and you don't even think about it mm. it's 
it's like you just don't think I, I used to drink quite a lot of diet coke and I, I i don't even remember why i stopped but i stopped and i've not had one for years and i just don't even just don't even think about it it's just kind of how it's how getting it, out of the habits of yeah, things isn't it yeah. and, and introducing new routines like you say and yeah. i have got some listener questions like i said i mean i did have loads but i literally have had to keep them down but one lady said and i thought this was really interesting she had a hysterectomy in 2013 but she's still suffering from brain fog and hot flashes and she just was like when will this ever end so if you have a hysterectomy, you don't necessarily lose your ovaries. So it would depend on whether she had her ovaries out at the time or not. If she did, then she would have gone into what we call a surgical menopause, mm. which is a sudden, you know, overnight loss of hormone. And they can be the women that really experience the menopause the worst. So mm. they, they have the, the worst time. Uh, and sometimes hot flushes and things and brain fog don't get better they sometimes do with time but sometimes they don't and we, we if you can use hrt they, that would be the first you know that would be the first conversation even though it's been such a long time uh because it sounds like symptoms are really debilitating and you then have to have a, you have to have a risk benefit conversation but some but i suppose the, the short answer to that is sometimes they don't get better uh just so it's the, it's kind of the luck of the draw. So that potentially could go, continue to go on, or or just yeah. Oh. It can do. It can right. do. Okay. Um, I think this is a similar kind of this is a similar kind of question really to what we were talking about before but this lady is 45 doctors told her that she's not menopausal but she says she's stressed she's angry she's upset am I going mad I really don't know what to do. <laughs> So we, I mean, we see this all the time in clinic. We have, this is, that that's our bread and butter. So uh, if you're over 45 and you have symptoms like that, which is highly suggestive of the perimenopause and you want to take HRT, that would be the first, that would be the first thing that you would try. Right. And most of the time it just, it just corrects that, the, the loss of estrogen and you feel better. Um, we've got a lady here that said she was prescribed the marina coil because um, I have heavy periods, but I've also heard it can ease perimenopause symptoms. Is this true? There's a lot of talk about the marina coil, actually, isn't there? We It's a really brilliant tool in the perimenopause and menopause. So, it, it's, uh, so when you give estrogen as part of HRT, you have to give progesterone as well to protect the lining of the womb from the additional estrogen. Um, and it, it so so it's one way of delivering that progesterone uh, is is in the form of of the of the coil. So you have it fitted, and then it's in there for five years, and you just don't even have to worry about it. And so it's one it's one alternative. But why it's partic particularly good is it controls bleeding. So it is used even in non menopausal and perimenopausal women as a treatment for heavy periods or problematic periods. Uh, it doesn't treat the loss of estrogen, so it does right. not replace estrogen. But what it does do is it seems to sometimes just level out symptoms, especially kind of cyclical symptoms. Mm. And we don't really understand how that works. And it wouldn't be your typical go-to solution to somebody's perimenopausal symptoms, but it's part of a, of a toolkit that we use. Uh, 
and you know if, if you've got somebody that's got a uterus and they need progesterone it, it's brilliant um but it's not it's not your kind of hrt on its own kind of solution normally um, and we've got a lady here that says she can't have HRT because um, of chemotherapy. Um, am I getting that right? She's or she's she's maybe been on chemotherapy, but she's the, something to do with her cancer, and she can't have HRT. Um, so what does she do? So if you have a history of breast cancer or endometrial cancer or sometimes a few other more rare conditions, then you can be advised that HRT is contraindicated, which basically means you shouldn't take it. Uh, and then it depends on what your symptoms are. So there are there are a number of different options for symptom relief, but it depends on on those on those symptoms as to what medication you would be offered. So you know, if you have hot flushes, then you might be offered something. If you were if you um, had low mood, you might be offered something else. So it just it just depends. So there are options, uh, but it's um, it 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 is kind of symptom dependent. Now we often see people come to us who say, I've been told I can't take HRT because I've had you know, bowel cancer mm. or melanoma or something like that. Uh, but we, the reasons that they've been told they can't, can't take HRT are not always true. So wow. it's just, it's just about working out actually whether or not you can use it. Sometimes you can't, but a lot of the time you actually can. Uh, and um, and if you can't, then we, then there are there are different alternatives as well as of course all the lifestyle changes yeah. and essential herbal remedies and CBT and psychological therapies and things. So there are there are lots of different things that can be done. And are there any um, groups of women other than like women that have you know like you said have gone through breast cancer bowel cancer are there any other groups of women that wouldn't be able to have hrt like they could be um really uh what's the word sensitive to certain hormones or or or, should, or is it would it be okay for most women most most women um tolerate it most women get on well with it but it can take adjustments so it's not especially in the perimenopause where you've got this hormonal moving target then you know, can get side effects from it. Uh, sometimes it will work and then stop working. Sometimes it will make women feel not very well. Some women are progesterone sensitive. So the progesterone that we give, they can have you know, an adverse reaction to. So there, it, it can, and I think that's where a lot of women feel like HRT is not for them and then they're left high and dry, mm. uh, especially with, you know, with a GP who isn't a specialist, who doesn't know how to manage those more complex situations. But um, so, yes, there, there are some women who do really struggle with it. Uh, we normally get there in the end, but it can take a lot of it can be a really big journey and it can take a lot of adjustments and a lot of perseverance and it can be it can be challenging. And if you were to start on HRT, you know, um, I think there are some other worries with with women that um you potentially could could feel worse is it before you feel better like mentally especially you know is is there that kind of element as well and and how long would those like symptoms last before you kind of have a breakthrough certainly it can make you feel worse like any medication you know, yeah and you can get side effects and we see quite a lot of women who are sensitive to the progesterone um so there are a number of different types of progestogens that are prescribed there's the body identical progesterone neutrogestan that tends to have the fewest side effects but even that can give particularly 
distressing side effects. So it can make you feel very PMSy. It can make right. you feel very fearful. Very um, can make you feel anxious. On the flip side, it can make you feel brilliant, mm. and it can be it can be very calming. And it's just the luck of the draw how it's going to affect how it's going to affect the individual. So really, then it's about kind of opening up a dialogue with your doctor, with your specialist, and just kind of hopefully trying these things until you find something really that works for you which then leads me to I suppose like in terms of menopause care in general you know obviously women that get to see you and your team are you know very fortunate and you've you've got this amazing specialist team um but how can we like how can we get to that place where that your kind of care is uh, available for all women you know is that something that in the medical profession that you know it is changing or is it not or what more do we need to do i think that so the the patients that we see now in clinic are different to how to the to those that we saw even just 18 months two years ago so we would we used to get just you know very very straightforward cases of women who just couldn't get HRT and they wanted HRT and they came to us and we gave them HRT completely mm-hmm. appropriately. Um, but I think that GPs are now getting much, much better at mm. doing exactly what they should be doing, which is which is the management of straightforward menopause. And so we 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 tend to see just more complex cases now where they might have been to their GP and it hasn't and it, for whatever reason it's not gone quite right and they've had side effects or it's not worked or uh, there's been some problem with it or bleeding those are the patients that come to us quite you know quite appropriately now so I think it's better I really do I really really do think it's getting better but and you cannot expect GPs to be specialists and I and I absolutely stick with that you can't they see everything you know Mm. they see absolutely everything there's no way that they can have the experience to be specialists in use in 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 menopause management Uh, it's great if you do have a doctor in your surgery that happens to have that as their specialist interest but you can't blame them if they if they don't but they should be able to do the the, you know the basic management and i think i think they are um there will always be there will always be disagreements so when you know for for every 99 people that say this is brilliant everybody's talking about it finally there's a dialogue there will always be somebody that says oh you're medicalizing something that's natural (laughs) It's a natural process. Women should just be getting on with it. What are they whinging about? It's just people <laughs> making money. You know, you can't win. You can't win. You can't have, you, you know, I, I've just learned to just head down, just... But, you're, but in, a, in a way, though, like, you know, it's kind of... I've had this conversation. I mean, it's really great, I think, that... I'm pretty right in thinking this, that uh, menopause and perimenopause will be taught in secondary schools from 2024. I think that's the case going forward, which is brilliant because that's the problem that we've stopped the education around women's health kind of pregnancy and that's it. You know, there's not been anything (laughs) after that. And there's this whole group, this massive section of life that's just like, oh yeah, well, we don't really need to talk about that, which is you know, I'm sorry, it's very misogynistic because it's like, well, you're done now with having the babies. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for that. We don't really care about you now. You know, who cares? So it's, it's reframing this period of life, isn't it? And making it not scary, making it not aging and not scary. And just the next little bit, it's not, like we said, there's quite a long way, especially before we get to full menopause, which is that whole year without having a period, which, you know, 
can happen a lot later, but can happen younger as well. But that transitional phase, we really need to reframe the narrative around that. And I think we're both on the same page with this of going, (laughs) come on, let's get talking. I mean, what's next for you? Like, obviously, you've done this incredible book, you've got Menopause Care as a support platform. What's next for you in terms of kind of spreading that message? I think I'm just going to carry on doing what I'm doing, I think. <laughs> yeah, I just, um, yeah, I mean, it would be really nice to do another book and um, and it's, it is lovely doing things like podcasts like we're doing today. My passion is just educating women so that they can make the decision for them and they can know that they are doing the right thing for them. I can't tell people what they should or shouldn't be doing. It's a very, it's a personal decision. I don't think HRT is right for everyone. Mm. I think it's right for a lot of people. And I, I don't think we're medicalizing the menopause. We're just educating. You know that's and that's all and that's all we're doing. And I, and I I think that's how it should it should be. Um, and I love you know I love talking to that's that's I feel like that's my kind of skill set is is translating the medicine to the lay person so that they can understand what what to do and um whether that's podcasts or books or magazine articles or newspapers or tv or whatever um it's just about keeping the conversation going i think isn't it and hoping that this menopause bubble doesn't birth so that in 10 years time everybody says oh do you remember 10 years ago if i was talking about the menopause what a whole load of nonsense and then do you know what i mean i'm, I'm in complete agreement with you and i think you know very much like when the way that um uh, post-pregnancy was dealt with you know there was many there were many women that suffered in silence when they'd had um, you know postnatal depression that n- yes. they didn't talk about it and if we think about like that kind of movement what happened and how those women are now looked after and it's you know it's kind of we we really give it the gravitas that it deserves I'm really yes. hoping that this conversation which is the next phase really which I'm hoping that this conversation will have the same importance and the same gravitas um, as a move forward from that phase into the next phase it's the next it's the next taboo that we are kind of breaking down and kind of making sure we are shouting about it and you know getting taken seriously because as we said right at the start when we think about the generations that have gone before us but also the generations that even now are still trying to tap into and make sure that those younger women can make choices about you know when they want to have children will they what's the possibility of perimenopause menopause how might that affect their mental health their bone health you know so they're going to be empowered to make better decisions about their life and health and well-being absolutely yeah I mean if you look at something like childbirth and which is a completely natural process and pregnancy Mm -hmm. pregnancy getting pregnant pregnancy childbirth all completely natural processes but with modern medicine we have enabled women to get pregnant who were not going to get pregnant Mm -hmm. to stay pregnant when they were not going to stay pregnant and to deliver babies in a really really safe way now that's that is advances in medicine in the same way that i view advances in in menopause care is that yes it is a natural process um but so is so you know so so many other things that we need to be um and just if you by providing help you're helping women to not experience debilitating symptoms. So I, d- I don't see how that is over-medicalizing something that's a natural process, personally. Um, and I just hope that we can keep on kind of 
persuading everybody. Well, I agree say. with you because our world is different. We didn't live like this, you know, in, in natural, uh, a natural state of being. We never had technology. We didn't, we weren't, you know, our brains weren't dealing with all the things that we're dealing with now. We live in a completely different world and need those things yeah. to help us to deal with the world that we live in. We don't live in prehistoric times where it was just, you know, oh, we'll be completely natural. We need to survive and we need to have children and our world is a completely different place and so therefore that makes sense that we would need extra help in other areas so So, yeah Yeah. I think we're definitely on the same page and just before we go um, I just wanted to ask you quickly what are your go-tos to protect your own well-being you know what are the things that you reach for or the practices that you know you follow well, I haven't. I didn't really think about it, and I suppose it just kind of evolved as part of my well, part part of my kind of toolkit coping with all my ridiculous numbers of small children. But r- running, I run, um, so I always I'm, I make time to run at least four or five times a week, and that means my workday starts later as a result of it. But it's the only it it keeps me so it keeps me sane. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I've I've always eaten well, and so I just continue to do that and just watch the booze. And I can't drink coffee; I never have. And uh, I've always dabbled with it, like it always just looks like a really nice thing to do. Like I've always really wanted to have a really nice coffee. Every time I every time I try it, it just sends me bananas. Um, and so I can. I, that's why I kind of know how it feels mm. when. Um, women haven't identified it so those are my yeah those are my go-to but run I run I love running I'm the same. I love running. For me, it and I think there's a chemical um, change that happens to me when I'm running as well, where I kind of go, oh, oh, I'm back to normal again now. Yeah. And I feel better. And it's that peace and quiet and nobody kind of, you know, especially with you, you've got five children um, where you're like, yeah. oh, nobody's wanting you for five yeah. minutes. Like, just <laughs> give myself a half an hour where I'm not hearing mum, you know, literally. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, Naomi, um, we have run out of time for today, but honestly, it has been so wonderful to have you with me and, you know, to just have your expertise and your insight. I just know that this is going to be a really valuable episode for our listeners. So thank you. It's a pleasure. Lovely to meet you. Um, You can follow Naomi on her Instagram at Dr. Underscore Naomi Potter. And you can also head to www.menopausecare.co.uk for more help and support with menopause and perimenopause. And Menopausing by Naomi and Davina McCall is also available online and in all good bookshops. Definitely go to the website, visit Naomi on Instagram and get the book. Honestly, make it part of your toolkit. It will really, really help you. Can I do a little shout out to the um, midweek menopause madness that I do with Lisa Snowden as well? A hundred percent. We love Lisa here. We absolutely love Lisa. So yeah, so midweek menopause madness also with our lovely Lisa Snowden. So make sure you check that out on Instagram as well. And for more well-being, fashion and beauty, you can visit us at our website, www.thecapsule.co.uk where you can also catch up with our previous podcast episodes by visiting the In Conversation page and subscribing to any of our podcast channels and YouTube. As always, please feel free to leave your rates and reviews. It's always lovely to hear from you. You can also drop us a message at our Instagram at Official Capsule. And also, we are very excited, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, to be hosting the first capsule live event of this year dedicated to myth busting perimenopause and menopause it is the perimeno meetup and it's happening this thursday
Thursday at the Leeds Marriott. And so if you haven't grabbed tickets, then get yours now. There's still a couple remaining. So just go to the events page on our website or to our Instagram channel. Now, after all that, all that's left for me to say today is goodbye. So it's goodbye from Naomi. Thank you. Goodbye. Lovely to see you. And goodbye from me. Bye-bye.